seminar period will be devoted to the study of angels called in systematic theology angelology. And we'll go through the Bible verses that deal with the existence of angels, the nature of angels, the number of angels, the fall of the angels, the work of the angels, and in particular the superiority of angels over men. And then in some ways the superiority of men over angels in regards to salvation. Now first of all, in the matter of the existence of angels, the Bible always takes this for granted. The word angel first occurs in Genesis 16, 7, for the angel of the Lord ministered to Hagar after Sarah had mistreated her. The angel was created by God, but the time of the creation is not revealed. We know angels are spirit beings. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, uh, angels are ministering spirits. Psalm 104, verse 4 says, who maketh his angels spirits. As spirits, angels are not bound by human laws. Angels can enter locked prisons, Acts 12, 7, open prison doors, Acts 5, 19, and ascend in a flame, Judges 13, verse 19 to 20. Angels evidently are able to travel great distances very quickly. To compare that, uh, for example, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 to 13, uh, where the angel apologized for being 21 days late due to uh, wrestling and dealing with principalities and powers in heavenly places. Angels are wiser than men, and angels are strong. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night, according to Second Kings 1935. One angel slew 70,000 Israelites following David's sin in Second Samuel 24, verse 15 to 16. One angel overthrew the power of Rome, broke the seal, rolled away the stone from the tomb in Matthew 28, verse 2 to 4. And one day an angel will bind the devil and imprison him for a thousand years. In Psalm 103, verse 20, we read, Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength. In 2 Samuel 14, 20, the lady speaking to David said, My Lord is wise according to the wisdom of an angel of God to know all things that are in the earth. So angels are there. They're there and they are spirit beings. They are spirit beings and every angel in the Bible, it appears, appears as a young man, a 33-year-old male. Now, we realize, of course, this won't be found in any textbook on angels, but one must remember that since 1920, the fundamental apostates and the conservative dead orthodox conservatives have been attacking the King James text so regularly that God has pulled the blinds on them and slammed the doors on them so they can't find sound doctrine or get further revelations than what was found in 1909. This constant attacking or changing of the King James text has resulted in spiritual blindness the body of Christ. So if you pick up any 35 books in the, or on the store counter about angels, you'll find none of them give you the right information about their basic nature. They are called young men. They are never sexless. The grossly misleading note found in both Schofield Bibles to the effect that they are sexless is a heresy that came from the Alexandrian cult in Alexandria. The New School Fear Bible make, make some uh, amendation for this, but one must remember that the New School Fear Bible was put out after the material had been circulated that showed the angels were male and could cohabitate. Uh, you'll check very carefully the references in Genesis 19 and 20, Judges 13, 14, and 15, Luke 24, Revelation 21 and 22. You'll find there is no sexless angel anywhere in the Bible, nor is there an angel anywhere in the Bible that has wings. Every angel in the Bible is spoken of as a young man. 
Now, if you study your Bible carefully, you'll find Jesus Christ is called the angel of the Lord. Acts chapter 27, Galatians chapter 4. You'll find the resurrection. Christ said the children of the resurrection will be as the angel of God. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus Christ, when he died, went back to glory, was a 33-year-old male. He is called the angel of the Lord before and after his resurrection. Matthew chapter 1, Acts chapter 27. He's a 33-year-old male because when Adam fell, he was 33 years old. This is why Christ is called the last Adam. We get the number 33 by believing our King James text and throwing out all Greek and Hebrew texts without consulting any of them for any wisdom or knowledge, because there's no wisdom or knowledge found in them. We get 33 years by the fact that Jesus Christ was about 30 years old when he was baptized by John the Baptist, Luke chapter 3. The first Passover occurred after his entrance in the ministry in John chapter 3. There are four Passovers mentioned in the Gospel of John, which makes Jesus' ministry an exact three and a half years, which makes him crucified at 33, or at the most, 33 and a half years old. If he's about 30, then if it's six months, he is 33 when he's crucified. This fixes the age of Adam's fall, the age of Christ's death, the age of a young man, the eternal state for the believer conformed to Christ's image, and confirmed the eternal destiny of the born-again child of God as the Son of God, as a sinless, perfect, 33-year-old male. Romans chapter 8, 29, in spite of male chauvinism, First John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, in spite of women's lib, and Philippians chapter 3, in spite of any godless, depraved, jaded hallucination by an international socialist who is trying to produce a Mongol race. After all, when the Mongol race is gone and the National Socialism is gone, the Bible will still be here. As Professor Pinkovich of the USSR Soviet Department of Education said, the world is getting too small for that book. Either that book will have to go or the world will have to go. We can answer, Professor Pinkovich. The world will have to go. So sorry. Angels are there. They're 33-year-old males. They're young men every place they appear. They are never sexless, and they never have wings. Colossians 1.16 says about these angels, For by him, by the Lord Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Angels came to minister to Jesus at the great temptation in Matthew 4, verse 11. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the garden of Gethsemane, and sweating blood, and praying, an angel appeared and ministered to him. In Matthew 18, verse 10, Jesus said, Take ye that ye despise, not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus accepts angels as true beings, and so does Paul. An angel, of course, is an appearance, not a messenger, as you find it wrongly translated in any of the new corrupt versions. There are many angels who bring no message at all. Every angel in the Bible has an appearance. You will notice the children's angels in heaven are not messengers. They are appearances of the children. You will notice the famous uh, angels or powers that represent Greece and Persia, with whom Michael and Gabriel fought in the book of Daniel, are not messengers. They are appearances. Uh, the peculiar thinking, thinking along these people's line is by taking the word Malachi, Malach, Malachi, and making it my messenger for Malachi, is quite typical of the modern abortive type of Bible study or Mickey Mouse exegesis 
found in the modern Christian schools. There's nothing to it. You may ignore it. Every Bible, angel in the Bible is an appearance of something, although not necessarily a messenger. All right, on the angels. Jesus believed in them. Paul accepts them as being so. Angels seem to be innumerable. Uh, angels are immortal, Luke 20, verse 35 to 36. There are various ranks and orders of angels. Michael is called an archangel in Jude 9. The Bible speaks of archangels, angels, principalities, powers, dominions, and thrones. You might check Colossians 1.16, Daniel 10.12, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, and 1 Peter 3.22. The teaching that angels are sexless is pagan speculation, has nothing to do with the Word of God, and if you find it in any modern uh, fundamental literature, you may ignore it. In Revelation 5.11, we read, I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And it goes on and says, And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. They are said to be an innumerable company in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Jesus spoke of being able to call 12 legions of angels. That would be 3,000 to 6,000 each legion. Any one of these angels could kill 185,000 men. In 2 Kings 6.17, the servant of Elisha saw the mountains full of chariots of fire round about Elisha, and these doubtless were angels. The present abode of the angels is in heaven, and the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are the angel of God in heaven. A third of these angels will fall in the next 20 years, according to Revelation chapter 12, which you might read. And you will notice that uh, the present rash of books on angels is to prepare the people to accept a positive view of fallen angels when they return to this earth. The contemporary trend toward always thinking positively of things of which God has spoken negatively, and always thinking negatively of things of which God has spoken positively, is characteristic of the modern apostate Christian who is trying to stay in good with the world, and he unwittingly becomes a dupe in the hands of Satan to prepare the world for the entrance of the Antichrist. The modern books on prophecy that begin to fool with angels are neglecting to tell the reader that since the angels are wingless and are 33-year-old males, that all you have to do is find something that looks like a man, acts like a man, talks like a man on another planet, and you have an alibi for your own damnation. You simply pretend that it's not an angel, but a man from outer space, or a highly developed or higher developed type of human being, or a humanoid, and then you get your Star Wars going. You see what I mean, Jelly Bean? What you're preparing for is to receive fallen angels. Angels describe my Lord as being holy, sinless, and pure in Mark 8:38. It says, When he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But these holy angels, called also the elect angels, 1 Timothy 5:21, are those who've been conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, being the children of the resurrection. They therefore refer to the people in the first resurrection who have been born again and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Angels thus created beings were created holy, Luke 9, 26. But angels back there before the time of Christ were also placed in probation, and some are on probation now. Some have been any uh, defected. 2 Peter 2, 4 speaks of the fall of angels as the angels that sinned. And, of course, this is directly connected with Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and Genesis chapter 4, 5, and 6. Evidently, they rebelled when Satan tried to become like God. Notice Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And of the sin of pride and disobedience, 
and to the sin of cohabitation with women on earth. Genesis 6, 1 to 4, where the Bible speaks of the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, verse 41. As a result of their fall, they are awaiting judgment. Jude 6 says, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness of the judgment of the great day. Now what about the work of angels? For in heaven their job is to honor and worship and serve the Lord God and carry messages and represent God. And in heaven their job is to actually portray or represent what they uh, portray or represent down here. The Lord evidently had the sort of a uh, uh, inner uh, planetary, inner universal uh, TV system where he can pick up the corporate image of anything on this earth, including nations and local assemblies. Notice Revelation 2 and 3. On earth they run errands to the Lord. For example, they show Hagar a fountain. They appear before Joshua with a drawn sword. They release the chains from Peter. They open prison doors. They fed and strengthened defended God's children. They exercised God's judgments, like the one that blocked Balaam's pathway in Numbers 22. One of them killed Herod in Acts 12, 23. And they're in charge of gathering the tares in the ecumenical World Council of UNESCO under the Roman Soviet government, Matthew 13, 41, before they're burned at Armageddon. They also are here to guide believers. An angel guided Philip to meet the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 8, 26. They're here to assist, protect, and strengthen saints, like they helped Elijah in 1 Kings 19, like they helped Daniel in Daniel 6:22, like they ministered to Jesus in the temptation in Matthew 4:11, and they ministered to him in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22:43. They will accompany our Lord when he returns, Matthew 25, 31, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, 8. And they are said to take the Lord's children to heaven at death, Luke 16, 22. The angels had a part also in giving the law by appearances, God himself appearing as the angel of the Lord. Notice uh, specifically Galatians 3, 19 and Acts 7, 53. Now the superiority of men over angels lies in the fact that angels and our first parents were both created perfect, Angels are spirit beings, and Adam and Eve as fleshy beings. However, in some ways, man is superior to angels. First of all, angels are not allowed to preach the gospel in this dispensation. This ministry has been given to us. Now, it is true in the Great Tribulation that an angel shows up preaching the everlasting gospel. But in this age, if an angel showed up preaching the everlasting gospel, he'd be cursed of God. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you in the map which you receive, let him be accursed. Now, isn't that something? It is not clear. If anybody told you there was any way to get saved in this dispensation, except by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that man is cursed of God, according to Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. And like Bob Jones Sr. used to say, if you don't like it, don't get mad at me. Phone up heaven and get Paul on the telephone and tell him you don't like it. He's the one that said it. If an angel were to preach uh, the gospel that's being preached today out in, from Pasadena, California, or the gospel being preached at Abilene, Texas by the water dogs, he'd be under the curse of God. The gospel Paul delivered unto them is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 5, and it has nothing to do with church membership, nothing to do with sacraments, Nothing to do with the golden rule, nothing to do with living a good life, nothing to do with water baptism, nothing to do with church ordinances, nothing to do with enduring to the end, and certainly nothing to do with making the world a better place to live in. Those gospels and the promoters and propagators of those gospels, 
in Galatians 1 under the curse of God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. Don't you get mad at me, you old hypocrite. Look it up. Shame on you, you two-faced lying rascal. Look it up. Don't you get mad at me. I didn't write Galatians 1. The greatest Christian that ever lived wrote Galatians chapter 1. And the gospel revealed to him was revealed to him and not to Simon Peter. Simon Peter knew nothing about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Man has some superiority in that man has the privilege of believing the gospel, preaching the gospel, and one day men will judge angels. In 1 Corinthians 6.3, Paul said about the saved people in this age, who someday will be like the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and conform to his image, what? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? And this undoubtedly will be a reference to judging the fallen angels referred to in Jude 6, and the one-third that have yet to fall during the tribulation mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. Now this great honor is indeed a glorious yet humbling thought for the redeemed. Though we fell into sin, one day God is going to raise us up higher than angels in Christ, who will be blood-bought redeemed beings conformed to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and being conformed to the image of His Son, the exact replica of a 33-year-old sinless perfect holy male, we won't be able to fall again, and we will sit in judgment on angels, spirit beings, who are rebellious and turned against God. What? Know ye not ye shall judge angels? This judgment is mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, and at that time we read about the sea giving up the dead, which means there is something under the Bermuda Triangle, and although, of course, it's not the Atlantis of Greek folklore and mythology and fable, there's something down there, and there's something under there. Job chapter 26, read your King James Bible, Never mind the magazine rack, and it will come up. Now, when the angels sinned, the Lord did not provide a Savior for them. Why was that? Because they were not flesh and blood. As spirit beings, they may have had flesh and bones, but no blood. When Christ came down to this earth as Savior, he came down as a bloody Savior, with blood in him, to shed blood for bloody people whose life was in their blood, and their blood was wrong, and that's why they died. So the old song says, When I sing redemption stories, angels will fold their wings, for they can never know the joy that our salvation brings. Well, that's still, that little song is a nice song, although it's not doctrinally correct. Angels have no wings. But it's a great truth that no angel can ever know the joy of the finished blood redemption of Jesus Christ because he's not a blood-bought creature. The problem comes up, of course, when the fallen angels came down and obtained blood, probably orally, Genesis 6, and begat children. You'll work on that one a while. Um, before you talk about the deeper things of God, you better master your English Bible first. Never mind the Greek and Hebrew nuggets. You couldn't find any way there that we couldn't find in 1880. Anything any Greek or Hebrew scholar in America knows today has already been published in 1909, so don't waste time with them. And obtained their blood orally and begat children. Then the children they begat evidently had blood in them, and yet were not responsible for their own fall. This brings up some interesting speculation in regards to 1 Peter chapter 4, where the gospel was preached to those who were dead, they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but lived to God according to the Spirit, as though the people to whom that thing was preached were not ordinary people. Now, that's a thought, isn't it? As a matter of fact, they're called the spirits that were in prison. Interesting, isn't it? When you go by the King James text instead of your religious teaching? 
In Matthew 18.10, we find an inference that there are angels assigned to children that in heaven, there, the little ones, their angels do always behold the face of my Father. Which means that far from having the guardian angel walking behind the child and protecting the child on the earth, the guardian angel is a representative of the child in heaven. Now, if we get along here in this ground, we're getting in heavy and we're getting in deep water. I don't mind telling you, when we get in too deep, I pull out. There is something I'll not do. I will never alter that Bible and change its meaning because the water is getting too deep. I'll get out of the pool. When I find a place in that Bible I don't understand, I've learned one great lesson. Don't ever put a word in there so you can understand it. Don't ever take a word out of there so you can understand it. Never take it out of the context so you can understand it. And above all, don't run to the Hebrew and Greek to change it so you can understand it or pretend that you understand it so folks will think you're smart. You know what I mean, Evergreen? In plain words, when it gets deep and heavy in there, which it often does, the best thing to do is back out and simply say, I don't know. Now, there's something about the angelic representatives in heaven, a thing in this earth, I do not fully understand. I'll give you some leaders and some clues, and perhaps you can solve the unsolvable and unscrew the inscrutable. I certainly don't profess to be able to do it. Now, I know there are those that do, but the ones who do, they simply change it and make it say something it doesn't say to match their stupidity. I'm not interested in revising the Bible until it meets the demands of my own, of my own ignorance. I am interested in studying the Bible and searching for the truth so God shows me knowledge and wisdom that I don't have. And, of course, this is the basic approach of the Theological Seminar of the Air. On this seminar that's run now for 35 hours with this lesson, 35 hours, 70 periods of 30 minutes each, you have never heard one verse anywhere in the King James Bible revised, corrected, altered, or retranslated in 70 hours. And there is no Greek or Hebrew scholar alive who could show you one thing from any Hebrew or Greek text that you haven't been shown these broadcasts or are going to be shown in the next 52 weeks. The King James text is quite able to take care of itself and correct the errors of Christian education. Now, if you will give careful study, I'll give you the references, to this passage in Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. And then note the angels are called stars, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 9. And then notice that angels represent nations on this earth, Daniel chapter 9, 10, and 11. And then notice that local churches on this earth are represented by angels. Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3. And then notice when Peter was supposed to have been decapitated, they thought his angel was at the door. Acts chapter 12. And that angels are the theophany, the appearance of the Lord in the Old Testament. I said appearance. Judges chapter 13, Genesis chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18, you will eventually come to the conclusion that God has available, without bending down to the universe, access to any information he needs at any time, simultaneously or otherwise, to anything going on on this earth, by its spiritual form or spiritual shape in the heavens. Now, like I said, I don't profess to be able to explain that. 
But that's what the book presents. Now, when these Hebrew and Greek teachers, these apostate fundamentalist institutions hear that, they're going to have a raising, raving case of fits, and to prevent you from finding out the truth of that or investigating that, they're going to holler extremism, fanaticism, radicalism, who else believes this, whoever else taught this, this is a hobby horse, see? Now, that's how the apostate fundamentalist present, prevents the dissemination of truth and the discovery of truth from the English text. He almost gets apoplexy when any man finds something in the English Bible that he couldn't find in the Hebrew and Greek. Because it's as much as saying that his education is worthless, it's a slap in the chops. It is confirmation of the fact that the one who wrote the book and preserved the book is the teacher, and the linguist is not the teacher. You see how it goes? That is, these raving fanatics and these faculty members of these schools almost have a heart attack when they realize that anybody with a high school graduate may at any moment find a great truth in the Word of God that they can't find in their Hebrew and Greek lexicons, because this would overthrow their scholarship and show them nothing but a bunch of phonies. So every time you give information like this to study and work on and play on, trusting God will show you something, you're going to get a scream from every Christian educator in this country who makes his living making you think that he's the authority and you have to come to him to get the information. You see? That is, the love of money is the root of all evil, including Bible rejection and rejection of the truth. When these fellows talk about serious Bible students and conscientious Bible students, they mean students who reverence Christian scholarship and are interested in altering the divine revelation of God with their own secular studies in the Greek grammarians. They're not making a reference to Bible study at all. They're making a reference to biblical criticism by a bunch of puffed-up egotists. Now, you search the Scriptures, and if God gives you something on this, I'd like to hear about it. I'm interested. Well, wonderful as angels are, we must never worship them. Revelation chapter 22, verse 8 and 9. Angels can become visible and eat human food. According to Luke 2, 9, Genesis 32, 1 to 2, Genesis 18, 5. And of course, before the second coming of Christ, they will become visible on this earth as 33-year-old men or humanoids from outer space. They will cohabitate with women under the equal rights, equal lib, men lib, free sex, free love, premarital. That is what the government is setting up for you right now and produce a mongrelized race of people who are called a generation of vipers and who are pure in their own sight, yet not washed from their filthiness. You'll find a record of these things given in the Proverbs chapter 29 and Proverbs chapter 30. Continuing our study of uh, angelology, we shall now discuss next week the one who appears as an angel of light, who properly comes under the heading of demonology. We shall uh, have a theological seminar for 30 minutes dealing with Satan. There'll be two periods on this, discussing his origin, his personality, his character, his titles, his work, his subordinates, and his destiny. Until then, may the Lord bless you, and good day.